Welcome to CPA Advisory Show. I'm Jeremy Wells, and with me as always is Chris Hervishan. Chris, how you doing? Best day ever. How are you? I am doing fantastic. We have another great guest in the studio with us today, Nicole Davis. Nicole is a wife, mom, and CPA. If you follow her on Twitter, you know that from her Twitter handle. She owns a firm based out of Conyers, Georgia. Going to ask where that is here in a minute. And primarily works with independent pharmacies, construction companies, and service-based businesses. That's a it's an interesting group of niches there. Uh, loves to cook, eat good food, and travel. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris and Jeremy. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So uh, first of all, Conyers, where is that? So Conyers is about 35 to 40 minutes east of Atlanta. Cool. Atlanta has blown up over the last little bit. It has. Wife, mom, and CPA. That seems to be part of your brand based on your Twitter handle. Talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. So um, it pretty much says that I'm that that those roles make up the whole of who I am. So I'm a wife, a mom, and I'm a CPA, which are the three main areas of my life and where I pretty much dedicate all the time. In, my life. in that in that order, or does the order change depending on the day or the time of year? It definitely changes. I would say I don't do all of them really well at once, but. Every now and then, I can get one done really well. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that. I, my, I would have to swap out husband and dad. Um, but then, yeah, accounting firm <laughs> owner and then those three. Yeah, exactly. Just just coming out of tax season. So definitely throughout the year, the order right. of those three priorities can definitely uh, shift over time yes. for sure. Okay. And tell us about uh, your firm. When you started your firm, how long you've been running your firm, that sort of thing. So I started my firm full time in September 2014. It was just me. And I think I hired my admin maybe a few months later. Um, And then, listen, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just um, trying to have my own business. I never worked in a public accounting firm before, but I was like, hey, I want to help these small businesses get better. And that is why I, I decided to start my firm. So we've been going almost 10 years now. Now we have a staff of about 13 and most of them are local to us. And it's accounting, tax, and payroll very services. Cool, very cool. So you you didn't come from an accounting firm. So what, what were you doing before you got into accounting? So I was mostly, so I, I never worked public accounting. I was mostly in corporate gotcha. accounting. Okay. And so it was mostly in the accounting departments of these large companies, these public companies. How that That's something that interests me because I came straight into small business uh, accounting and, and mm-hmm. tax. So what are the differences that... You know, it, it, is it is it easy to translate from one to the other or are they two completely different worlds? Like what did what did you learn or experience in corporate that translates well into small mm-hmm. business and that doesn't translate at all? Mm-hmm. I would say what translates well is just the skill set, right? Accounting is, is, is accounting for the most part. You got debits, you got credits, you got cash in, you got cash out, you got accrual, you got cash basis. What doesn't translate well is that in corporate America, you're usually good at doing one thing and one thing really well. So and when you start your own firm, you have to do a lot of things, right? And be a lot of things to a lot of different people. Well, in corporate, your customer, your client was usually internal users of that financial information. It was never external use. So here as a public account, as a accounting firm owner, that information is definitely more outwards towards the business owner or third parties. So I think those are the big differences. Gotcha. Yeah, I when I uh, started my master of accounting program, the cohort I, a few years ago, the cohort I was in, several of them were in corporate, and it was just they 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 would do one type of transaction that might affect one sub account on the balance sheet, and that was all they did. 50 weeks a year with yes. that one type of transaction yes. over and over and over. And that is so boring <laughs> if you like to be challenged in your work. <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine. But then on the other side, I would, exp- I would tell them about how every day I'm putting out dumpster fires in the, in my email inbox from all kinds of different clients that all have different issues and different nuances. And so, yeah, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the grass is always greener, right? You know, there, there, there are days where I would yeah. love to just be doing that same journal entry day after day after day. One thing, right? <laughs> I agree. Definitely. So Nicole, I, I came from corporate too. I had a little bit of public accounting experience, but that was like my first job and has nothing to do with what I'm actually doing right now. And I had a very definitive moment where it was like, I am leaving this job and I'm going to go do this. Very, very definitive. And I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious whether or not you had that mm-hmm. moment too and what that was like. Yes. 
It was. So it was my last. I saw I worked in a paper manufacturing company. They were a public company. They were huge. And again, like you said, they they train you to do one thing and one thing really well. However, this one thing they wanted me to do, I didn't agree with. Right? I was like, listen, I did not get my CPA exam to call vendors <laughs> to ask them <laughs> for payment information. That's and it was a mess. I was like, you know what? This is not for me anymore. I see that now, and I quit. Like right on the spot, right there. Not on the spot. I get like a few weeks notice, but still, I was like, I'm done. Okay. So is that one particular thing that you were doing? You're like, this is just not for me and I'm done. Yeah, it was an AP function, but it wasn't, but it wasn't AP. It was like, they had us calling vendors to get payment information and terms. We're like, we had a whole AP department to handle that, but it had the whole accounting team doing that. Holy cow. So I was like, yeah, no. Okay. So like help us unpack that from that moment to... I'm starting a firm and the firm is going to look like this and I'm going to work with these people or these types of businesses and I'm going to have this tech stack. Like how did that all unfold? Okay. So let's see. I was there probably 18 months. It seems like every job I've quit, I quit all my jobs, by the way, every job I've quit, I, the shorter, the time frame gets shorter and shorter how long I'm there. So I was there exactly 18 months. I had just had my son, I believe. Oh, did we just adopt our daughter? It was, I think I had just had my, we adopted our daughter. And then 11 months later, I had my, well, 10, nine months I had my son. So I had just had him. He must've been under a year. And it, I think I was just depressed in that job. It was depressing because again, I felt like they weren't using my skill set to the full ability. And for me, I like to be challenged. I like to make sure I'm making a difference whenever I'm, wherever I'm working. And I, that wasn't happening. It wasn't fulfilling for me. So it started from there, but I, I stayed on, like I said, a good, another year or so before I decided to pull the plug. And for me, it was all about, okay, I got to find, I got to figure out that what I really want to do first. And that was, okay, I need to start my own business, but what does that look like? So I decided to start with bookkeeping first. Like tax was okay. But that wasn't my background. Like accounting was my background. So I started with bookkeeping first. And um, I tried to make them a client afterwards, right? So I quit. And then I was like, <laughs> then I said, hey, do you want to be my first client? They were going to actually be a client. But I think something happened internally. They decided not to um, go with me, and I, which is fine. Um, but from there, I decided, you know what? I will just, you know, sh shoestring it um, to, or bootstrap it until... You know, I've built the base of clients that I have now. Interesting. Okay. So remind us what industry that employer was. That was paper manufacturing. Okay. Paper manufacturing. So how does that uh, relate to, so, so they, they ended up not becoming a client. Now you've got to figure out, okay, yes. this is, this is the part of the market I'm going after then. How did you go from there to deciding, right? Because now you say it's pharmacies, construction companies, and service-based businesses. Yes. So how, how did you roll yes. from, this is an industry I'm intimately familiar with, because I've been working in there for over a year now mm -hmm. into these are the kinds of clients I want to start working with. So, great question. So actually, I have been working in pay, paper manufacturing about I, my experience in paper manufacturing was about six or seven years because my second job out of college when I moved back to Georgia was also with a paper manufacturing company. I worked there about four or five years and then I worked at a bank for a little while. Then I went back into paper manufacturing. So it wasn't a, it wasn't an easy translation. Right. Just because, I mean, a lot of small businesses aren't paper manufacturers or any type of manufacturing company. So for me, it was like I had to start all over. So I fell into independent pharmacies from a friend in college. He reached out and said, hey, he started a pharmacy with a friend. And then once again, I had no clue what I was doing, but I figured it out. <laughs> so I, I learned uh, um, accounting for pharmacy. I did a lot of research and there's not much CPE on pharmacy accounting. So I kind of had to find a parallel industry and then like learn how that industry compared to pharmacy and then back my way into the accounting. So what would be a parallel industry there? <laughs> Great question. So retail. So it's, it's retail mostly. So retail with a combination of insurance uh, reimbursements. So that's how I kind of. Yeah. It's almost like a hybrid. I mean, I think about going into like a pharmacy shop where it's, it's like a mm -hmm. convenience store almost plus yes. The, yes. the, the sort of pharmacy medical part in the back. So it's almost like a, exactly. a sort of like a doctor's office and a store combined. I imagine that is. is interesting from an accounting perspective. 
Yes, that is exactly how it's, how it's how, how the business model is of a pharmacy. So once he started his pharmacy, um, he referred me to a lot of his other friends that started pharmacies, and that's how we kind of started niching in pharmacies. At what point would you say that you know some percentage of our business is pharmacies? Was it fifty percent? Was it seventy five percent? Like how did that kind of work its way oh. through? So I would say pre COVID, I would say about eighty percent of our business was pharmacies. Holy cow! Yeah, it was a it was a big chunk of it. So we did get smashed during COVID just because a lot of our you have to think about it, pharmacies have really bad margins, considering that their retail drug with their prescription costs is about eighty percent of the gross margin. So they're already starting very small with their margins. So they took a hit during COVID, even though they were essential businesses. So for us now, after COVID, we're probably at 40%. We're slowly building that part of the business back up. Holy cow. Okay. So we're in pharmacies. That's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Like, how do, what does that mm-hmm. service model look like? Like, what are you including in your, in your packages or your service model? And how are you thinking about pricing it? And what's included in that? Sure. All right. So we do the accounting, AP. We don't do any AR, even though we're pulling the information from their pharmacy management system because they're doing all of their insurance billing themselves. But we are pulling that and reconciling it to their um, to their insurance reimbursements. Um, what else? We're doing payroll. So payroll, AP, bookkeeping, accounting, and then tax services. So it's like a typical business. It's just that how they run their business just slightly different from most businesses. Do you run into... The I know with doctor's offices, there is an issue with the accounting slash billing because of the HIPAA compliance and all of that sort of thing. Do you run into that mm-hmm. with pharmacies also where you've, you have you know the sales data are there, but the sales data mm-hmm. are trapped in mm-hmm. some sort of HIPAA compliant software that doesn't just yes. export straight out to the GL software? How Do you have to deal with that sort exactly. of thing and how do you get around that? Yes, we did. So for us, we mostly added what... It was a very manual process for us because, again, like the two systems didn't talk at all. So they had the pharmacy management system and most of our pharmacy clients were on QBO. So for us, we had to pull the data from the pharmacy management system, massage it into like this large data Excel worksheet and then feed it into QBO. But it was very generic. So for us, we had to, you know, of course, sign non-disclosures with the pharmacy owner saying, hey, we're not going to you know, disclose any of your client information because it has all their client information. Uh, and then we just extracted what we needed to add into the the GL. Gotcha. But when you develop a niche around that, you when the, when the mm-hmm. next pharmacy comes to you and says, "Hey, we need help with this," you already know what all the constraints are. You know yes. the back doors into yes. the information that you need. You know all of that, and so therefore, yes. it makes you a lot more valuable, and it makes that onboarding a lot easier when you start working with that new client. It is. It is. The only thing that's probably a bit of a hiccup for us when we add a new client is that they all had different pharmacy management systems. So for me, I know probably a ton of pharmacy management systems that's not going to do me any use if I don't have pharmacy clients. Yeah, that's. That's true. It's I'm I'm trying to think of an equivalent because, you know, I I deal with uh, uh, customers. Some are using Square, some are using Stripe, some are using QBO invoicing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I have a different system for every couple of clients because they're using a different sales platform. Mm -hmm. So I have a different way of getting that those sales data into QBO or checking on. And and then, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. banks are are another issue. Right. You know, you've got to be able to get all the uh, bank account information from every different client and all of these different kinds of things. And the funny thing about pharmacy is that they didn't use any mainstream banks. They usually use the local oh, banks yeah. and those banks early on QBO didn't connect to some of those local banks, but I think they advanced now to where they connect to pretty much. Yeah. All right. Banks. Cause I imagine there's a lot of cash deposits that they're doing because of the retail yes. part. Exactly. Ooh, yes. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> I, I haven't had to, I haven't had to deal with a cash-based client yet. So um, I'm, I'm considering myself lucky for that, but I want to take a, a step back because, okay. So, so you were a uh, CPA before you got into working in industry and that sort of thing. And so, so you went into industry and it, it, so, you know, I was working with small businesses before uh, as an enrolled agent before I started down the master of accounting and then trying to get the license and taking the exams and all that kind of pathway. It was a bit of a struggle. There were a lot of times during that process where I sat back and said, none of my clients need this, right? Because it's all gap. It's all audit. You know, it, it, it it's right. this kind of, it, it's like 
there might be some day where I would need this, but it's not in the foreseeable future. You went from CPA into what I imagine is, is at least going to be gap or maybe some twist on gap with the clients that you're working with manufacturing. When you shift out of that into small business, do you feel like you're just leaving a lot of that behind to switch over to cash basis, tax basis, this kind of thing. And like from that, right, given the discussions that we're having about the value of the CPA license and the process to get the license and the shortage of Mm -hmm. CPAs out there, like, are we just focusing on, are we focusing on the right things or the wrong things when it comes to the license? Like, I know this is a really big, heavy question, but like, because you've had experience with both industry and small business, what's the value of CPA license to firms that are focusing on small businesses? Honestly, I don't see the value, if I'm being completely honest, just because, like you said, gap accounting, um, financial reporting, like the like the serious financial reporting right to the SEC that I had to do in a lot of these corporate companies, I don't have to do anymore. I don't even have to think about those things anymore. So for me, the value in having a CPA is it's a brand, right? It's a it's a recognizable brand for us. So for me, I, I can usually um, whip out my CPA when a client gives me talk back <laughs> and be like, I'm the one with the CPA license here. And they respect it, right? Because they know what it means and what it represents. So, But outside of that, I don't see a bunch of value in only pursuing a CPA if you're already a small business, um, um, if you're already working with small businesses. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I, I think even on the tax side, right? Like I, I, I remember I, I kind of, I didn't intentionally do this, but by the time I got done, I realized like, okay, I'm, I'm small business tax focused. And I took maybe two or maybe four hours of actual tax. I think I took a two hour partnership tax course and a, and a two hour tax research course out of my entire master of accounting program. Right. And and then I, I had maybe four or five questions on the reg section that were like, okay, this, th- yeah. I, I might have a client come to me with a question like this someday. Right. It, it just seemed so wildly right. beyond what I was ever going to deal with on a day-to-day basis um, in my job. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, but before that, I came from being an enrolled agent, which felt a lot more reasonable because, yeah, mm-hmm. small business owners are going to run into representation issues. They're going to have right. deals with the IRS. So as a small firm owner, when you're thinking about staffing and capacity and these kinds of things, what are you looking for in the next crop of accountants that are going to work for you? Maybe even go start their own firms, help your community, these sorts of things. Right. So I'm looking for a couple of different things. Um, like I'm not necessarily looking for anyone credentialed, right? Because again, I think there's so much emphasis placed on being credentialed. And then usually the, the, the candidate is also placing a lot of emphasis or a lot of value on that credential. And they tend to outprice themselves from the, the job that we're hiring for. So for me, it's not, it's about, not about the credentials. It's about, okay, are they going to be a good fit for our company? can they learn and can they learn to do the job so we go we have a very rigorous hiring process in our firm just to make sure we find the right person for the right seat uh, i was telling i think that's when chris reached out to me about uh, coming on to talk about our hiring process and what that looks like and so like it starts with it always starts with okay the the job description that we have like a lot of job descriptions are very vague we try to be very specific in our job description. Like we're hiring for this position. This is exactly what you're going to do. Right. And we call that, um, um, what is it called? I can't remember the name of it. Hold on. Let me see. Um, that is called the, the scorecard. Yes. The scorecard we use to define the position. Is that coming from traction or EOS? Or are you pulling that from something? It's from Who. It's a book called Who, The A yeah. Method for Hiring by Jeff Smart. That's a good one. And what's the other guy's name? I just remember. And Randy Street. So we pretty much took their model for hiring and just put it in our company. Like basically straight out of the book? Pretty much. We Yes, we try to try to follow their process to the T. Just as we think we have some good success with it, for one. And we just because I think that it's it's one of those things that a lot of companies, especially if they're scaling or growing and they want to add employees, that they don't know how to hire. Or that was me early on. I hired so many people and fired so many people. 
um, that I thought it was me. I was like, maybe I'm just not a good per <laughs> maybe I'm just not a good manager or boss or trainer or something. And I was like, and I would give them chance after chance. Like literally someone wouldn't be a good fit. You could probably tell, like, y'all could probably tell like in the first couple of days or two weeks, it probably took me 60 to 90 days to finally fire them. Also too, because I hate firing people, but I was like, yeah, that has to, that has to change. So is hiring and firing something that you had to do in your previous career? Or is that something that was new to you as a firm owner as well? It was a hundred percent new. I've never had to hire or fire anyone. So you said. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you see why I was like, like stuck in a deal with a headlight when I had to fire someone. I was like, what, how do I do this? Can, can you, can you talk us through that? Can you talk us through what that was? <laughs> But that was let me talk you through my first firing how yeah. that went down okay it was probably in 2018 yeah 2018 um this is also the time we didn't have like a formal hiring process so i liked her resume brought her in i liked her we gave her a few after two tests in the office she was great you know on paper she she was even great in person but when she got behind that desk and that computer oh it's totally different story she was not so great and so, again, I still waited 60 to, 60 to 90 days before I fired her. Um, and I just called her in the office. Okay, first, it took me like a week of going back and forth, determining if I was going to fire her or not, even after 60 to 90 days. And then finally, I got the, I had to talk to like seven different people like, hey, this is what's happening. So I had to have seven people persuade me that she needs to be fired. Once they persuaded me, I finally pulled the plug, brought her into my office, let her know what was going on. She got an attitude. She was like, you don't have to do all that. I was like, oh, excuse me. <laughs> and so I just handed her her um, separation notice. And so so she confirmed what, what your decision basically <laughs> is. What... Yes, I know, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Who, who were some of the people that advised you on that? And, and how, how did you, mm. what, you know, what made you go to those specific people and what was, what was the process of getting their advice and, and how did that go down? So I went to my former boss. She's a good friend now. When she worked, we worked at the bank together. Um, she was my manager. So she had managerial experience. I could tell her like the full scope of the issues I was facing. And she just kind of gave me, um, um, step-by-step step on what to expect and what to do when I had the meeting with her. Of course, I went to my husband because he's been a manager in retail for a very long time. And so for me, he's hired and fired so many people. I went to a couple of friends. I went to some peers in the industry. Um, then that's when I finally decided I had enough confidence to to let her go. Holy cow. So, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> it was a whole Holy process. Cow. So... <laughs> You said that your firm is, is 13 people, right? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So what positions do you currently have in the firm? And then how do you tailor the hiring process to those? Or how do you like, and I guess to some extent, it's a capacity question. Like, how do you, how do you figure out what you need next? So right now we have, I think we have five payroll specialists. We have um, payroll team lead, an accounting team lead. We are currently hiring for a tax team lead. We have two junior accountants. They're fresh out of college um, that we're training. And we have our admin. Who else? I'm missing somebody. Of course, is it me and my husband? He's uh, he's the financial planner in the office, and I'm just like the orchestra, the conductor of the orchestra. Hey, it's Chris. Thanks for tuning into the show, and we really hope you're enjoying it. If you like the show, please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you really like the show, please leave us a review and we'll read it on the air. If you have a service or an app that is tailored to accountants and you want to get in front of several hundred accounts that listen to this show every single week, send us an email at host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. You acquired a payroll company not that long ago, correct? Yeah. So how yeah, last year? Yeah. And that, we were talking about that at Engage last year. So. Um, mm -hmm. how many of those folks are from that payroll company? And then how many did you have that were internal or that you hired afterwards? Mm -hmm. So we had four from the payroll company, one quit. And then we hired one. She's on military leave. Now we hired another one. So I had three on the payroll side within the last year. Uh, so your net basically three from the previous company and then you right. another two or three. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So we've, we've talked about accountants 
going uh, firm owners going out and buying other accounting firms, but you yeah. went and bought a payroll company. Why did you do yeah. that? Because all I hear is that payroll is a loss leader. Payroll is annoying. Payroll is a compliance nightmare. Yeah. And just and let, yeah, ju just be. let, just let Gusto or ADP handle it. Don't even get into those weeds. So you did the opposite. You ran into I it. What? <laughs> you embraced I did. it. <laughs> I did fully. So for us, it was all about strategy. So my husband, he he had recently passed the Series 65 and he got his uh, RA approved with the state. And so we thought that would be a great way to feed leads into his company because you know, most, most of our payroll clients are small businesses with five or more employees. Most have or will start a 401k or a retirement plan eventually. And so it's just a great way for us to build his side of the business using the payroll companies. And the best part is that we bought a business that's been in our community for 20 plus years. So we didn't have to do any of the work. So the payroll team does everything. We ju we're just truly investors um, in the company. Interesting. So it are, is there some sort of synergy there where, you know, now your accounting firm is using the payroll company to do the payroll yes. for your, yes, your, for all your our clients. clients. Yeah. Okay. Yes, so gotcha. we, we eventually transition, we transition all but two of our bookkeeping clients to them, but we're transitioning the remaining two at the end of the year. How many of these employees are onshore versus onshore or offshore versus onshore? So we only have one offshore bookkeeper. Everybody else is in house or local to us. Gotcha. We had so, three. Let me take that back. So as a, as of as of last month, or was it March? As of March, we have one. Before that, over the, since the last three years, we had three full time offshore. But that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be talking about that. At, we're gonna be talking about that at Engage for sure. I promise, a hundred percent. We're gonna have that conversation. Yeah. Um, okay, so we got a whole bunch of different roles in the, in the firm. Mm -hmm. What are you finding right now is the most difficult to hire for? And then what are you finding is the easiest to hire for? The most difficult to hire for would be, hmm, I would say it's for us right now, it's the tax piece of it. Like finding that tax team lead. We, we, we found someone we thought um, based in California and he seemed very promising now I will admit he's a he was a contractor though, so we didn't take him through the whole interview process, just because he was a contractor. That that didn't work out so well. I mean, we got through tax season with him, but then he started doing things that kind of gave raised my eyebrows a bit, and I was like, yeah, I'm starting not to trust you. So that's a problem for me. Um, not that he was doing anything with my client; it was just his time. Like the last two, like when I'm traveling, and I didn't and I didn't assign you any new tax returns. How do you have 40 hours of doing tax returns? <laughs> like, make it make sense. So to me, he was padding his timesheet. And that was a no-go for me. Accountants padding timesheets. No oh, way. I don't believe that. it. <laughs> That's a whole nother podcast too. Time That's tracking. That's a whole nother podcast too. <laughs> yeah. How, how many episodes are we going to have to call We've got half a dozen episodes booked for Nicole. Follow-up episodes for Nicole here. Yeah, absolutely. Nicole's going to be the next co-host. Um, the okay, rest of the so, year is just the Nicole show. Yeah. You looking to buy a podcast, Nicole? <laughs> Stop it. Okay. So that's so tax, like everybody else, that's the most difficult to hire for. What about the easiest to hire for? Where where is the talent abundant, if anywhere? Oh, I would say in the payroll. The, as a payroll specialist because it's mostly data entry like once you understand once you know the due dates and you understand you have a basic understanding of payroll then and we train for that as well so we have a, a in-house course that we put everyone through that comes that is hired and it pretty much is able to take them from ground from from ground zero all the way up to being a fully capable payroll specialist so that's why we're able to kind of pluck people along they're a good fit as long as they can they have the ability to learn and the willingness to learn. We can train them to be a great payroll specialist. So are your payroll specialists doing the payroll filing or is that handled on the, on the accounting and tax side? No, they're doing everything from start they're, to finish. They're doing all the 941 and I, okay. Yes. So that leads to the next question. You can't talk about payroll over the last couple mm -hmm. of years without talking about employee retention credit. So yes. is your firm handling any ERC work? And if we so, are. how has that gone? 
Yes, that's a great question. So when we when we approached the previous owner of the payroll company, that's one of the questions we asked. Like, have you all rolled out ERC to any of your clients? Of course, they aren't accountants. They uh, they were just payroll processors, so they hadn't done anything with ERC. So that was also a great way for us to kind of introduce ourselves, show that we can add value beyond doing the payroll, and also fund the purchase of the company through some of the ERC um, monies we were going to receive. So yes, we had all of them change their signatures on day one to say, hey, we do ERC work because we didn't want them going to the mills either. Because we had a few clients before we actually signed on the dotted line to close that went to the mills and they got such extraordinary amounts of money. I was like, there's no way. I was so happy my name was not on that 941 that went out that door. Because I was like, I let them know that they do not send out any amended 941s that has my name on it and wasn't done by our office. So it was Holy an interesting cow. time back then. Yeah. Yeah. You're not kidding. Okay. So now that we've kind of got the lay of the land as far as like who's in your firm and what they do and all that sort of stuff. Now take us through the recruiting process and the hiring process and that whole, that whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so we start with, like I said, the scorecard, where we're going to outline exactly what the job is, the mission of the position, what they're going to do from A to B, their competencies required, the skills that we're looking for, and we're going to use that to kind of as our job ad. And I found a great way to source candidates. From I was, I was speaking with someone, they said, why don't you try this? And I was like, you know what, that's a great idea. So we don't immediately post on LinkedIn or Indeed anymore. We first reach out to our network of personal and professional um, people. So we'll send a mass email out to all of our clients, all of the vendors we work with, all of our um, peers, anyone that could possibly help us find someone for this position. And we had such great feedback from doing that. They said, there's no need for us to to go, unless we absolutely cannot find anybody, then we will post a job at somewhere, but we haven't had a need to go outside of our network to find a candidate lately. So help us unpack that. What does that yeah. look like? It's a mass email, but what's in it is like, is it the job description? Is yeah. it, is it something else? Like what's that look like? Yeah. So it's, it's so it's not a job description in the email where, where we tell them what we're looking for. So it's a very brief description of the job, which is called the mission statement, what we call the mission statement. And then from there, we also offer an incentive. So there's a, a there's a graphic that shows that we're going to pay an incentive if you give us somebody and we hire them. It's just like a referral fee, just about. So that goes out in the email as well. And then usually we start getting replies back of names and emails or phones. And that's when we start screening those candidates. So the screening is the first interview where we ask them five simple questions, four or five questions. It's usually a 30-minute interview over the phone, and we were weeding out those BC players. We're trying to keep the A players. And then from there, we do the the who interview. So the who interview is a little more, it's it's definitely more, takes more time, definitely. And it's, I'm trying to find the right word. It's, it helps us walk, the, it helps us learn how well the candidate perform at other jobs. So it walks us through their resume and we ask them questions like, so what were you hired to do? What did you actually do? Like, did you like doing what you were doing? So we're trying to figure out where they pushed from the, or they pushed out or they pulled out. Cause again, we don't want to hire anyone that was pushed out too many times because they're probably not going to be a good fit for us, but we want somebody that was pulled out. I mean, they just found better opportunities or they got promotions at, or they got higher salaries at other companies. So for us, the focus interview takes a lot more time. It's usually me, um, one of the team leads, and then my partner that are doing those interviews. And then we have the focus interview. That one's even more in depth about their job experience and then what they're planning, uh, what they accomplished at that job. And then the last screening interview is the reference interview. Now I would say, they say, don't, don't skip that interview. I have skipped that. And I wish I hadn't <laughs> a few times. Just because I hired someone, I took them through this process and I didn't do the screening interview and they didn't last 90 days. So. Okay. So it's, so I'm it's not the, the screening interview, the reference interview. Sorry. I didn't do the reference interview with them. So, so, so it's the initial interview. Yep. Then it's the who yep. interview, the focus so, interview, yep. and then the reference. Yes. So, so four different, 
so 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 you get the application and then there there are up to four different times that you might be talking to i I guess the first three would be the actual candidate and then the reference interview would be whoever they gave you as references so you've got four different times that you're talking three times that you're talking to the candidate a final time that you're talking to the references and then is, is that when you make the decision uh, of whether yes, to hire that, that, that person? decide, you know, to move forward or not with the candidate. Yes. Gotcha. But you're, you're saying don't skip any of those steps, right? I said do not skip any of them. No. And sometimes you can do the who and a focus on the same day. It's just going to be a very long day. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so would you structure that as, as just one joint conversation or would you have one conversation, then take a break and then, uh, follow and then, and then do a second conversation? How, yes. how would you do that if you did it all at once? Yeah, I would do a, a um, first of who interview, which is going to be an hour to an hour and a half per person they're speaking with. And it's usually three different people they are speaking with. So that's the first half of the day. And then the second half, you take a, you take a break for lunch or whatever. And then the second half will be the focus interview. Gotcha. And who, who is doing all of this? Is this all, is this, is this you, is this partner level or is, could you, could you delegate this down to manager or senior level or, and so yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So, so initially I was doing most of the interviews, me and my partner, who's my husband, we were the only two interviewing. Then once I hired the two team leads, they pretty much managed the process. So they do the Hugh interview and the, the focus interview. Gotcha. And so I have been through interviews, um, both in accounting and then in other industries where there would be sort of a, a middle conversation with somebody that would actually be at my level as well mm-hmm. to kind of get a, uh, you know, I, I guess to get a, a take from somebody who isn't just trying to hire, you know, right. for the job, right? Yeah. Is, is that part of this process or is there anything like that that's part of this process or is it just the, the manager and senior and partner level? So- that's a great question. So we do bring in my firm administrator. Like she has no dog in a race. So for her, but she's been with me the longest, more than she's been working with me more than anyone here. So I value her opinion and she's a great, um, she, she has a, she, she's a great read on character. So for me, we do bring her in as part of one of those interviews. Gotcha. So it's definitely the, the higher, slow, side of the coin right and we've talked about firing you're you're firing slowly also right or have you gotten better at that (laughs) i have gotten better so i've gotten somewhat better mainly because i delegated (laughs) gotcha so tell us about that how did you train or did you even have to train your team leads to walk to manage this process I just think it's from practice. Like there, there, there isn't any formal training. I pretty much print it off the quit. We have a meeting. We talk about the job we're hiring for. We talk about how we're going to source the candidates. We have the firm admin send out that mass email to everyone. And then I give them a list of questions from each of the interview phases. So they have screening questions. They have the hue questions, the um, focus questions, and then the reference questions. So it's nothing formal. It's just like, hey, here's, here's the questions you ask. Let me know how it goes. That's cool. Now, what have you seen as far as your success rate from the old process, which was kind of just winging it yeah. to this new process, which is, or to the new process managed by you to the new process managed by somebody else. Right. So when I managed, so before we had this formal, this, this process in place, it was definitely more of a winging it type thing. Like, Hey, I found a candidate I like. One candidate I didn't even talk to. I let my team interview her. That did not work out. So now I make it a point to meet <laughs> at least meet the candidate uh, first. But yeah, it was a, it was it was a mess back then. Like we were just trying to fill seats, get the work done. We just needed bodies. Um, now it's definitely definitely more intentional and tr- strategic in who we're hiring because we want to make sure the person we're hiring is going to be in the right seat. And again. Um, Initially, I was doing it all, my husband and I, but eventually we were able to delegate it to the team to where they're now owning the process when they need to find uh, new employees for their team. When accountants and, and firm owners talk about the staffing shortage and you know the, their inability to find qualified candidates or, or you know just really any candidates, that kind of thing, is this, is this self-imposed? Is it because we don't that, – that a lot of firms – 
haven't implemented a system, that they haven't put a system into place to find and weed out good candidates? Or do you, I mean, because it, it sounds like you've got a, a completely different level of confidence about mm-hmm. your hiring with this system in place. Mm-hmm. It, and, it, and it sounds very similar to the way firms talk about putting a system in place for mm-hmm. their marketing and, 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 you know, bringing in clients, right? It's like, right. if you're just sitting there waiting for clients to show up at your door, you're probably not going to find many clients. And the right. ones that do show up are not going to be ideal clients, right? right? But when you actively are out there seeking out your ideal client, then they just kind of start showing up, right? And you can't, right, you know. Yeah. So, and, and it almost sounds like you're telling a very similar story, but from the 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 uh, hiring and and staffing side of things. Right. Yes, I would agree. I I would say, I wouldn't say that the, that the talent shortage isn't real. I definitely think it's real, depending on the type of talent you're hiring. So, a lot of times these CPA firms are hiring; they're looking for those credentialed or higher skill set type talent, whereas I'm not. I'm looking for someone that I can mold and train for the position we're hiring for, because a lot of times our position aren't, they aren't the positions that require you to have this, like a CFO or a controller. You don't need that skill set for the positions we're hiring. Whereas these other firms, they may need that level, that level of skill to do the job effectively. But you would rather hire somebody that is more junior and a little more raw and turn that person into so that that leads to what you know i think is the next phase of this because you know that that's a great uh uh, breakdown of how you're getting people into those seats Mm -hmm. but the other factor of the the talent shortage the the capacity problems is the retention right because another thing that we've had guests come on and say is that uh, you know, they might find a qualified candidate and they might come in and work for a season or two, mm-hmm. but then they're getting poached by a bigger firm or, you know, they're, they're leaving. So what right. then are you doing on the retention side, the, mm-hmm. the employee retention side of things to keep people working for you, keep them wanting right. to sh- keep showing up for work for you? Yeah. So I would say we definitely have a very, op- a very, I say inclusive. What I mean by inclusive is that I value the opinion of all my employees. Because I think like the best ideas come from those that are like working in the trenches. Um, so for me, it's, it's very important for me to listen to them and their ideas, and then implement them if as as implement them if I think they're going to be good for the company and the culture. So I listen to my employees. We try to have as much fun as possible. Like today, we had ice cream Sunday, Monday. So <laughs> we uh, we have birthdays. We have birthday lunches where they can. Every birthday, each employee, and again, we're all local, so we can do these things a lot more easily. So we have a, a birthday party coming up on Wednesday. We close the office for a couple of hours. We go eat um, at one of their favorite restaurants. We give birthday gifts. We do half-day Fridays all year round. So um, on the accounting side, they get off at 1. On the payroll side, they're off at noon every Friday. Um, we try, and Again, we're also making sure that we're paying them a, a market rate. So even in our area, the market rates range anywhere from, let's see, from 21 to 55 an hour for um, either for accounting payroll. That's like a combination of all the different employees we have in our office. That's their pay range. So for us, and most are salary, but some are still hourly. So for those, just making sure like they're paid the wage that, that they can live off of, like support themselves and their families, take vacations. We give generous PTO. We do up to 20 hours PTO every year. Uh, we do health care, dental. So everyone has the option to have those benefits if they're um, full-time. And full-time for us is 24 hours or more. Just because we our average work week is only about 36, 32 to 36 hours. Um, what else? We just try to make it a place. I just try to make it a place I want to go to work every day, right? Like my very first job out of um, high school, it was my high school job. I got an internship at TBS, Turner Broadcasting System, where I um, answered prisoner letters all day and sent them swag while watching TV. Like what teenager doesn't love that job? (laughs) So uh, I just try to make it a fun place to work, even though I am very serious when it comes to work. I think they appreciate that though. They realize that you have to do your job, but we also want to make it a fun place to be. So tell us a little bit about your onboarding process, making sure that you get, so you, you've made sure that you got the right candidate in that door, yes. but how do you make sure that 
they get off on the right foot and they get into that culture in a successful yeah. way. Yeah, great question. All right, so we have a um, an onboarding project in our practice management system to where we have, um, I guess it's milestones or tasks um, that has statuses. I have a piece of tracker for everything has tags on when we're onboarding new employees. So for us, we start off with a welcome packet. Like once they sign and they're going to start, we have a welcome packet that goes out that the firm admin has. It goes out through mail. We also have an email one. And then from there, once they're ready to, once they come into the office to onboard, you know, get the official paperwork set up, we just make sure like we hold their hand for the first um, eight weeks. So in that, we use 15.5, which is, uh, have you ever heard of 15.5? It's a performance management software. No, so tell us about it. So 15.5 is what we use for our uh, performance performance reviews in the office. And they have something called check-ins or one-on-ones to where you can set like goals or milestones that you can track throughout um, your employees' um, progress with your company. So we have those one-on-ones with new candidates because every week we want to make sure they're on task, especially with the training we do. The first two weeks, they have to go through one of our training courses and pass. If they don't pass, they get fired. That's one way we sped up the the hiring and firing process. Um, How often does that happen? Like how often have they they made it through the entire, like this whole large process, right? Where you've totally vetted them. And then you get them in the door and then two weeks later, not so yeah. much. You know what? It's funny you ask that because we have not fired anyone yet. <laughs> <laughs> but all the team leads know that is the standard. If they cannot make it through that course, because that's the course that teaches them how to do the job. Uh, if they don't make it, they got it. They, got, they have to go. So. But, you know, I mean, that's like in my, in my prior career i taught about war and when we would get to the nuclear war section we would talk about why countries have never fought a nuclear war right well it's because nobody wants that right like and it sounds kind of the same way it's like that's the nuclear option right it's like if you go through all of this you are going to make sure that you pass that test right you know and and but because i can imagine a situation without that where you know onboarding just seems like this kind of you know, I, I'm that, that first two weeks or, or 30 days or whatever, I'm just kind of cruising through because I haven't right. really been given any yes. hard work yet because nobody yeah. trusts me to do any hard work mm-hmm. yet. And so my job is to just kind of sit around and watch everybody else and take it all in. But th- this seems like a, a much more proactive way of making sure that people yes. are actually paying attention to what's going yes. on. They're figuring out what the culture is. They're figuring out what the job assignment is. Yes. And they're not just sitting back waiting for that first big project to, right. to land in their lap. Yes. So generally, we don't give them any big projects that first two weeks. You're right. We want them to focus on that two-week course because, again, that is their like doomsday. Like, you have to pass this course. So because of that, they don't get their first project until they pass that course, because by then they also can handle more capacity. That course is designed to get them up to speed rather quickly so they can take on more capacity. So we're not like dribbling out clients here and there. Like, listen, when someone gets through this course, we can generally give them 100,000 to 150,000 in billable clients, annual annual billings per client, and they can run with it. Because it's teaching them everything they need to know from a technical standpoint. I, I really like that. I like that it's not just a couple of weeks of just just hanging out and getting a feel for things that it's actually like, okay, now you're ready to work. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I like that too. Tell us a little bit about these courses. So you have a two-week course that's designed for every role that's in your firm. Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. So we actually, um, we actually, it's, we didn't design the course. We licensed it from a CPA firm in Florida. He pretty much built it out for his company. Um, but then he started licensing it's a member in PASPA. So it has a, a QBO course equipped with desktop course and payroll, ACS payroll, which is what the, the which is the software we use in-house, ACS payroll. It has UltraTax training. And he recently wrote out some more, but I haven't dug in to see what they are. But yeah, it's it's very, very detailed. Like for instance, the QBO course, it teaches someone to do a full year of bookkeeping in this um pilot books uh, in two weeks so so that once they leave that course they know how to do the work they just got to pass the course i feel like this is a really stupid question but i'm gonna ask it anyway so (laughs) did you yeah did you decide did you design the role around the course and the course that was available or was it 
basically just you got lucky and these courses just really suit the role that you're hiring for that is it we got lucky yeah. right because the company we bought they just happened to use acs payroll and we just carried on using it and we've always been a qbo shop so that was he he built out that course um within his software as well so it's just that we kind of the luck of the draw i guess unbelievable um so does the qbo course go does it utilize qbo or does it utilize some other platform that's kind of like qbo that nope. this firm built no, it as well utilizes you QBO. so you actually have to burn a subscription for the um team member to use it but again you only got to burn it for a month because they are supposed to be done in two weeks okay one more stupid question how is that graded like what's the mechanism to grade that is it like is there like a bot that goes oh, in there has, and grades it yes they have um so after each module they have a test that you have to take like it's a test to to complete a balance sheet it asks you questions about the balance if you did everything correctly it asks you like what the amount on the balance sheet should be based on a question so if you it makes you select what the amounts are if you completed the balance sheet correctly it sounds like this is what the cpa exam should actually be <laughs> <laughs> You're here's how you here's how you actually do the work for 99 percent of small businesses out this there is true. in the country You're so right yes yeah. and the reason why i invested in it was because um the guy who built it out he has a bookkeeper he's had a very long time i think she's in her 60s now right and they use something called production pay to where you have a, a set of clients and you have to close all the books by a certain date and um by this date None of it has to go, none of it can go back to rework. If it goes backwards to rework, that's a deduction against you for your production pay. So this lady, I think she does about two hundred and fifty to $300,000 in annual billing work of clients. Like it's, she's so efficient because again, she went through the course and he makes sure, and he talks about this a lot. He says, hey, do not give, he tells them, do not give them any work until they finish the course. Cause again, you want them to be ready. And I was like, whoa, I need to invest in that. Um, so that I can get my team up to speed rather quickly. Because again, I'm now hiring for a fit and ability to learn and not for credentials. That's really cool. I'm, I, it, I almost feel like I should buy this just for myself to make sure I know <laughs> what I'm doing. Yeah, listen, Jeremy, I will, I will let you use my login and you can go check it out. <laughs> I don't even have any staff. I, I just need this for myself just so I know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, that's... That's fantastic. Okay, so we we covered uh, uh, finding the candidates, interviewing them, hiring them, onboarding them, and then retaining them. But occasionally they're going to go right. What does that yeah. process look like? Because you've had to fire some people. Right. I'm sure some people just they ultimately say either this just isn't the right fit for me, or yes. I found a better option somewhere else. What is, what does that process look like? What does wrapping all of that look like? So generally, the first thing you want to do is make sure their work is transitioning. That was a fail on our part when the payroll specialist left us. Like We didn't make sure what, that the work she was doing was done through her departure and that it was done correctly. So I would say we had a big miss and a big penalty behind that, right? Because it's payroll. <laughs> right. So um, that's one of the things. Like You got to make sure that the work they're doing, like even if if they, once they give you their notice, start a transition that day. Like, get the work off their desk. There's no need for them to work through the two weeks doing real work, right? Most people know two in two weeks, they checked out already anyway. So um, that's one. The other one would be, you know, just to make sure that, um, that, you know, all the access they have has been taken by the time they leave. They don't have any access to confidential information, especially the ones that could possibly leave and steal clients. Just got to make sure that their access is, is no longer available. Uh, and then making sure that we follow the state law as far as separation notice. If we're going to get them any severance. If they quit, we don't get severance. But when their last paycheck is due them. So compliance related things. Okay. I want to shift gears a little bit here because okay. you mentioned PASPA and yes. we talked about uh, Engage a couple of times. So that's AICPA. Mm -hmm. And you're a firm owner. Where are you getting sort of the industry and institutional yep. support that you as a firm owner needs and and what of those because we've had an entire episode on the associations that chris and i are members of and how, how we've used those associations so ascpa paspa what else and what are you getting from those memberships okay yeah so i am a member of aicpa georgia society of cpas um paspa 
what else? Um, NATP and uh, accounting salon. I think those are the main things I am part of. So I, so I, I said this on another podcast before, like me, I'm very vocal on social media. I'm loud on social media, but in real life, I'm very, I'm very quiet. I'm very reserved because usually I'm listening, mostly listening. Because again, once you talk, when people start talking shop, I want to hear what their experiences are. I want to hear what they're doing, what I'm not doing, right? What I could be doing better. So I'm always listening, trying to figure out the things that I need to extract from the conversation and use versus trying to put everything out. Like, this is what I'm doing. Like, no, like, because I haven't figured it all out, but I have learned so much just listening to other firm owners and then asking them questions and be like, hey, this is what I'm thinking. But what do you think? Like, for instance, our, Jeremy, the, our first acquisition, well, not our first acquisition, but the first time we were considering acquisition was with a CPA firm. And I reached out to um, Matthew May with Acuity and asked him about it. I said, hey, we're thinking about buying this company. It was a, a good size. It was out of state, though. And it was, it was mostly 1040 tax, a little bit of bookkeeping. Um, and he was like, do you want the tax? And I was like, you know what? I don't. He said, well, ask. Can you just buy the bookkeeping piece? And we did. They didn't go for it. But um, that's something I didn't consider before. I thought you had to buy the whole practice. But he said, no, you don't. You can ask for what you want. And that's where we kind of pivoted because a lot of the firms that were selling were heavy tax. And we didn't want to be heavy tax. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So, okay. Uh, how many, Okay, so so on that note, how many acquisitions have you one. done and been through that? Okay, so just, just one. <laughs> Yeah, gotcha. We, All right. We've we've gone through a, p- a lot of possible possible ones where we've done the due diligence, but in the end, we didn't it, uh, and is that is that the payroll firm or is it a or is it an actual accounting firm? It was a national accounting firm. Okay. Yeah. So 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 you've acquired a, uh, an actual accounting firm, and then you've got the the oh, no, payroll take that back. company. No, we've only acquired one payroll firm, but we were considering acquiring an accounting firm before the payroll company. Like we went gotcha. through this whole process with them, um, but then we decided just not. It wasn't Interesting. Good okay, gotcha. So AICPA PASPA. Tell. I don't know if we've had a PASPA member on the show before. I think it's the first one. Tell tell us just a little bit about PASPA. So PASPA stands for, oh my gosh, Professional Association of Small Business Accountants. And it's a group, it's a, it's about 230, 240 members now. And I will say when I, when I first learned about it, um, I wanted to join because again, they are all about the basics. For me, I'm all, I'm a big believer in the basics. Get the basics right first before you want to jump and do all these other things. And um, so we joined PASPA. Now the, there are a lot of traditional firms in PASPA, but their image is slowly changing to more tech-savvy, tech-focused, modern firms. So for me, again, I wanted to go and learn what these firms were doing. Uh, there are some firms that are, where the own, and what the owner is, have taken themselves out of the process completely, because that's one of the things that they preach is, like, remove yourself from production as quickly as possible so you can scale your firm. So that is what kind of attracted me, attracted me to them initially. But then they have some really great resources. Their learning material is great. And that's when I met the guy who introduced us to his learning management system. So you actually met Very him cool. through Paswa, the the yes. firm owner yes. that's interesting. Okay. Yes. And that's yes. the value of connections, right? Going to these or being yes. a part of these associations, going to the conferences, mm-hmm. going to the meetings. That's where the value comes from. It's not necessarily the content. It's just who you meet and what they're doing exactly. and all the listening and all that yep. stuff. Yep. For sure. Very cool. Yeah. So you brought up the modern firm versus traditional firm. Yeah. Where, where do you draw the line there between what's a modern firm and what's a traditional firm? Let's see. Traditional firms definitely ones that are billing by the hour still. Traditional in the sense, I'm trying to think, traditional in the sense that, and here's the thing, here's why I struggle, because I've never worked in public accounting, so I don't know exactly what traditional is. I just know what everyone else says traditional is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so all I know is they do a lot of billing by the hour. <laughs> yeah. 
fair enough. I spent one tax season working for I spent one tax season working for another firm about four years ago, and I learned way more about what I don't want in my firm <laughs> from that experience yeah. than, than what I do want. So yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. It's a lot of like this is what I know other firms are doing, even though right. even if I haven't experienced it directly, and I don't mm-hmm. want any piece of that right. in my own firm. But you're one of those firms that tracks hours but doesn't bill by the hour. Is that right? If I'm kind of reading between the lines there? No, we don't track hours. So, okay. And we don't bill by the hour either. So we only track hours for the people here who are paid by the hour. Mm, okay. But Makes we don't sense. track hours by client. Now, our offshore person, they he works for a company, so they make him track his hours. And then they send us his timesheet on a daily basis. It wasn't mm-hmm. there before. That's the quick, that's the story for another podcast. Um, but yeah, they we get his timesheet daily to see what he's working on. Okay, so somewhat related question to the modern verse traditional firm, but mm-hmm. how do you define CAS? It's our favorite question on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> you never <laughs> had your, plead the fifth. You never had Jeremy uh, <laughs> correct me out here. <laughs> I, I, I plead the fifth, Chris. <laughs> How oh, you come on. <laughs> well, we know we know it's payroll and AP, right? Did you? Yeah, you we know you, that you, much. You're at least doing that stuff, right? <laughs> yes. I don't think we've ever had anybody plead the fifth on this. Podcast I don't think before. so. <laughs> this, 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 this is a first. Like, like everybody that we've asked this has just been ready to like run right Let's into this out. question. Yeah. You own a payroll firm, but you don't want to answer what CAS is. This is like the opposite of everything I've been taught about how to run an accounting firm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that kind of an answer until I started asking about how Nicole feels about Bucky's, which you even following, <laughs> if you were following that Twitter Bucky thread. Sucks. Jeremy, do you like Bucky's? I'm I'm a Bucky's fan, and and let me yeah. tell you the 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 look I. Because it's it's funny it's funny it's funny what you were saying about your your presence on social media compared to the way you actually are in person because I was at a conference this past weekend and I actually had somebody come up to me a complete stranger to me and she introduced herself and she said it's nice to meet you I see how you're helpful in some of these uh, Facebook groups for right. for you know tax professionals and uh, and. She said, you know, I've, I've been watching you for the for like for because we were we were maybe about half a day into the conference at this point. And she said, you're so different in person compared to how you are online. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so so I'm with you now. I, I can I can tell how intense you are about your opinion with Bucky's, and I know mine is I know mine is about equally intense the opposite direction, and I'm not looking for any more Twitter fights right now than I've already got going on, and especially not one with you right now. Um, but yeah, no. So so there's your there's your uh, but and and at, at you know when, when when you're actually listening to this, this is going to be weeks ago now, but. Uh, between the the Bucky's post and I could tell you were already hot from getting called out for your materiality post. Um, so yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to push buttons any further than they'd already Listen, been pushed Jeremy, with. I you. appreciate it. Listen, Jeremy, I, I love you, Jeremy. Okay, it may not seem like it. <laughs> I swear I do. Listen, I, I feel the same me, way about everybody up there. Like, oh, he's right though. <laughs> I was a hundred percent with you on the materiality thing. Hundred percent. Yeah. I can't yeah. believe that, that thing blew up the way that it did. But I mean, what do you got there? Oh, I know, right? And you're right. I was not in a great mood that day, and he just pressed the wrong button at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, I, I've learned that you know, with certain people, and 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 you're one of them, but there are others. Uh, you've got to you've got to look like through their last couple days of history. <laughs> before you actually reply to something because you don't know what they've been dealing with and other threads right oh, and it was a that, hell last week it was yeah. pure hell last week yeah. right that's so yeah. funny my sister says the same thing she says i'm for curious and i like a cat i was like what does that even mean right <laughs> she's like people just cannot approach you like any type of way they you they have to slowly creep in <laughs> i was like oh okay don't they can't creep the cat off <laughs> But I, but I think you know to to circle back right to where we started this episode right and your your handle is wife mom CPA one hundred right yeah. and that encapsulates the way you perceive yourself and the way you're putting yourself out there as your brand right and you know this I, I always 
try to find the right line when it comes to that online presence between this is authentic to me, right? Which, which all the social media advice out there says be authentic, Mm -hmm. but then it also says, you know, this is, this is a public portrayal of yourself and you want to present yourself the way you want to be seen. And if you're out there saying I'm a firm owner, well, you're also speaking on behalf of your firm. You're speaking on behalf of your employees. Maybe you're even speaking on behalf of clients who also have an online presence that they put their, you know, they put themselves out there. They've referred you online, right? They've tagged you in their tweets saying, Hey, I know a good Mm -hmm. CPA if you're looking for it. Right. And so I try to be, I try to, like be authentic but then also be aware of all those other things as well right and it's just it's just not easy in the world of social media it's It's just not not easy easy. i think i think i think too i think take jeremy i met jeremy at aicpa last year right he came to my session i was so appreciative to see jerry in my session um jeremy in my session i was like oh there's jeremy and we talked a little bit after like you said you're totally different in person versus social media and i think you get a bad rap for that right people expect you one way but you're totally not that person it's just that that's you 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 just know your stuff right (laughs) and i don't don't think people appreciate that and they think it's they 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 may be turned off by but i'm like i guess i bite my tongue and i'm like he's right and i keep on with my keep on with life Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, I know for you, right, it is these, I mean, again, this materiality post is in question, right? Because there's so much context that's missing. And it's one thing when you've been dealing with this situation, maybe it's a, maybe it's a problematic client, maybe it's a tax return that you just still can't wrap your head around. Maybe it's some fight with the IRS that you've got going on, right? And so you just make this 280 character tweet about it. And all of a sudden, you know, all these keyboard warriors have their take on it. Right. And I'm like, where did this come from? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's disheartening too, because I'm like, I just wanted to rant a bit on social media. I didn't mean to like start this firestorm. (laughs) That's it. Sometimes I just want to rant. That's it. I don't have to say anything back. Good deal. Yeah. No, it, 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 it's, it's amazing. I think it can be the, one of the greatest assets we have in our business and it can also, it can also be problematic at times. It can be. You're right. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Nicole, it has been a great conversation. We could do this probably at least half a dozen more times, but we are bumping up on time. <laughs> <laughs> so aside from Twitter. This, this is the end of the CPA advisory show. We're transitioning into the Nicole yeah. Davis show from here on out. The Nicole advisory show. Uh, so besides Twitter, where can people find you? Where can people reach out? Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn and also on Instagram. I say have the same handle on Instagram, wife my CPA one hundred. On LinkedIn is l.nicole.davis. Awesome. Love that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and providing oh, your insights true. and walking us through all of the awesome things that you're doing. And I uh, would just uh, totally appreciate you and we'll see you in two weeks and engage, I think. Yep. You'll see me in two weeks. Awesome. Jim, Love are that. you coming to engage? I am not. Oh, okay. Not this year. Maybe maybe pick it up again next year. But okay. Vegas is a Vegas is a big trip, man. I I, I came back and and uh, let's see, we had uh, Vegas in what May or June last year, and then I had a few more trips, a couple conferences and things in the fall. And at the end of the year, my wife and I we went over the PNL, and she said, "You can't travel this much next year." I said, "Okay, <laughs> okay, All right. okay." <laughs> mm, noted. Yep. All right. Thanks, Nicole. All right. Thank you, too. Bye. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air, too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at CPA Advisory Show dot com. Thanks again. 